Thanks, Peter, and uh, to our team this morning for leading us. There's no doubt that in life we all go through those different stages where we want to aspire to something. That there are things that we think, one day I would like to do that. Or one day I want to be the person who, you fill in the blanks. Now that can be enormous challenges. I think probably as we are younger we have bigger dreams of things that we might do. I think as we get older we realise that time is running out and the reality of us being able to fill those dreams is probably running out. But there are amazing dreams that people have within them. It was uh, 50 years ago that uh, we celebrated, this year we celebrated that 50 years ago there was a, a landing on the moon and a man walked on the moon. Can you imagine being the little boy thinking, one day I'm going to walk on that? No one's ever been there before, no one's ever done it before, can, but can you imagine being that person who kind of has that dream and then that drive to go, one day that'll be me, I will get there, I'll do that. And then we think about what's happened since then. It's like numerous people have been to space, there's been all sorts of things. And and now the conversation isn't so much about a man on the moon, it's about sending people on a one-way ticket to Mars, right? Anyone signing up for that? No. It's kind of, no no matter how bad your hay fever is, right? Going to Mars probably isn't a solution for you. But the world has changed. It was in 1953 that uh, Sir Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa mountaineer Tenzin Norgay were the first people confirmed to reach the summit of the world's highest mountain. Can you imagine being that person go, one day I want to climb, I want to get to the very top of the highest point on the planet. That one day that that is your goal, that that's what it would look like. Well, since that time, since that's been achieved, there are all sorts of things now that make climbing Everest problematic. And it's not just the natural events. If we look at this slide, people are the biggest problem. There are so many people now, when the climbing season is on, that climbing Everest is now problematic because of the numbers of people there in the world around who go there now. Most of us at different times probably have big, big dreams at different stages of our lives. Or we might just have those normal everyday goals. How many of you recently decided to run the Sydney to Surf race? A couple of you out there. How many of you did it for the first time? No one. My, my hand's up just as an example. I didn't run it in case you're wondering. Um, but, you know, but some people kind of have those kind of goals or maybe it's like I want to get that particular job or you know, just everyday things that you want to do. Maybe it's get a degree. Maybe it's to move out of home. Who knows what your goal is that one day maybe you will achieve that. Sometimes the things that we aspire to are things that no one has ever done before. Like we talked about the idea of a man walking on the moon. And that requires a whole lot of stuff that has never been thought of before. Yeah, people who have those, you know, take on those physical challenges. I'm going to swim, you know, across the Atlantic Ocean or whatever it might be. You know, those ridiculous goals that people put before them go, I want to be the first person to do something. They aspire to that and it requires training and thinking outside the box. And then for the everyday stuff that we kind of have as our things, the things that are first for us. Others, plenty of other people may have done it, but they are first for us and they take training and discipline and commitment to one day being able to get there, that one day we will achieve the goals set before us. So things that we aspire to. Today, the title for our message is, uh, it's the floor, not the ceiling. And what we're talking about that is that you know the ceiling is often something that people we, we aspire to. It's something we want to aim towards. That you know one day we might get there. And the floor is something that everyone can can touch, right? You realise that most of you are touching the floor right now. 
Yeah, you're with me? So, you know, the floor, as soon as you walk in here, you're touching the floor. That's something that you can do. But the ceiling, now, in this building, it's problematic to go, well, one day I'm going to be on my own, tall enough to reach the ceiling. Uh, that's, you're going to be really tall to do that. You know, you, you need some props. You need either the scaffolding or a really tall ladder or a number of tables and chairs. But we would never do that here, Bronwyn, would we? No, no. Bronwyn's our OH&S person. We'd never do that, Bronwyn. The youth ministry would never want to do anything like that in this place. Um, but, you know, there are things that one day we might aspire to that we think that we might get there one day. How many of you were growing up where, you know, the door frame that, you know, you had the goal that one day I'll be able to jump and touch the door frame? Anyone have that kind of dream? Yeah. I said this in the first service, and all the ladies are going, no. And all the boys are going, yeah, that's something I want to do. I don't know. Competitive, maybe. But maybe it's because we see others who can do it. We kind of go, one day, I would like to get there. One day, that'll be me. I'll be able to do that. You know? and, you, and the closer you get, the harder you try, that one day you will be able to get there. And we need to recognize that the floor is kind of the place that is the beginning point for just about everyone. The ceiling is things that we aspire to. Well, today we're talking about giving. And our, our scripture reading was from Luke 21, 1 to 4. And it was talking about a widow and her giving. And Jesus is in the area of the temple where the collections were taken up. And there were a number of collection boxes out there and they had you know, various you know, purposes. And Jesus is sitting in the temple area and he's watching the people around. He's observing what's happening around. And uh, the wealthy people are coming in and they're putting in their free will offerings. And, but then he notices this poor widow who is coming in and he notices what she puts in the offering and it's a free will offering and she just drops in two small coins and this captures jesus attention and he says to those around him he says you know here is a poor woman who's come and she's given just about everything here and he really raises this highlights it to those around him and there's a couple of important details for us to notice from this particular passage here. The woman who came was described as a poor widow. And what's important for us to understand that as a poor widow who came is that she didn't have a source of income. It's not like she was a poor widow on a pension. It's not like that she was sort of, you know, had some money stashed away somewhere. She had no way of generating an income going forward. So this is her, essentially her last few dollars, her last few coins. And she comes and she, she, she offers them to God. And I kind of thought about that through the week and I thought, what if I was down to my last 10 bucks? That's kind of all I had. I had my last $10. And I had no form of income coming in. No, I, I wasn't working. I... Uh, there was no pension available, and, and that's all I had, $10. I was thinking, what, would I have the same courage as this particular widow? To go, well, this, if this is all I've got, then I'll offer it to God, and I'll trust it to him. For this widow, what she relied upon was the goodness and kindness of those in the community to look after her. There was no kind of planned strategy wasn't pension day it was just she just had to rely on others so so for this woman this was a really significant step that she was taking as she brought this offering there were others who were coming and going and, and they were bringing their free will offerings but jesus makes a comparison that they they were giving from their abundance their surplus their overflow it's kind of like their leftover stuff and they, they were coming and giving out of that but the widow she was coming and she was giving 
just what she had. She was offering it to God. Free will offering, this is what I offer to you. Now, I realize that whenever I speak about money and giving at church, that I'm always mindful that this is not an easy conversation. This is, in fact, a difficult conversation. It's difficult for a couple of reasons. One is I'm aware that for some people who attend Mosaic, that the idea of giving to the church, even though they might like to do that, it's not actually possible. It's not possible for a range of reasons, but one of the reasons is that they are not the ones who make the financial decisions in their house that there are others who decide how the money that comes into the house will be used, spend what they will give to, and they, don't, they aren't always the decision makers in there. And so I'm always cautious when we talk about that, that I know that for some this would create an internal conflict. The idea that, well, I'm kind of being asked to give, but I'm not able to give, and I just want to assure anyone in those circumstances that this is not about legalism at all. Scripture reminds us that we are to give freely and joyfully. It is in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8 that we read this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so it's around the attitude that we have around finances that we're really talking about here. Mark kind of highlighted that, that we've been talking about the generosity of God and what does it look like for us to be a generous people in response to that. So this teaching on giving isn't simply about money, but it's about our attitude towards money and how, how do we live out what it looks like to be a generous person. And I know that speaking about money is a sensitive topic. I think when I was growing up, my parents instilled two things to me that you never ask anyone. You never ask a woman her age, is that correct? True. <laughs> and you never ask someone how much they get paid. It was kind of just the, the rules around you know, society, social norms. You, know, you just don't engage in those sorts of conversations. And so I'm aware that when we talk about money, that for some people it's a very private and personal thing. It's like, well, well who are you to talk about me and my money? This is personal. You know, it's not actually doesn't have anything to do with you. And I suspect that if we were sort of wanted to do a bit of an exercise here and we went, well, one of the things that we're doing as a church as we look to the future and we want to prepare our budget is that we would like each person anonymously to fill in a form and just let us know your annual income. I suspect we wouldn't get all those slips back. Actually, I suspect we would, wouldn't get many back because we, we kind of hold that we're in that place. We kind of go, well, this is mine. This is me. I don't think, you know, I don't think you need to know how much I'm earning and so when we talk about it, it kind of gets a little prickly because we're a little defensive around it. So I know this is a sensitive topic, but it's also a topic for me about discipleship. See, God is actually interested in how we handle our money. I think I spoke earlier that when we read through the Bible, there are more passages where Jesus and God talk about money than there are about prayer and faith combined. And so we recognize that God actually wants to speak into this because one of the reasons is that we can fall into the trap of serving the financial gods rather than God himself. Because we spend so much time 
an energy around making money, making decisions about how we will spend money, that we will sometimes put the goal of money ahead of what it is to serve God himself. So God actually wants to speak into this that we might find freedom. This morning, I specifically want to talk about the concept of tithing. I think just about every week in our services, we talk about, well, we'll now be collecting our tithes and offerings. I thought, well, when was the last time we kind of explained what tithing is? It's kind of an unusual word. It's not something that you find plastered around, you know, you don't walk around Westfield and see tithing sale or anything like that, do you? It's kind of not a word we use very often. So I thought I'd take some time to talk about that this morning. Well, tithing, quite simply put, is 10%. And when we start talking about tithing, sometimes people within the Christian church, they push back and go, well, that's, that's not what the Old Testament is about. You know, that's an Old Testament idea. Tithing is about giving 10%. And I would agree that the New Testament is not about percentages, but it's actually about attitudes. And the trouble with the tithe in the New Testament was that it had become the rule that people measured things by. It was like, if, I, if I'm tithing, then I've got it sorted. I am done. That's all I need to do. So it's in 11, uh, Luke 11.42 that we read this. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the important things. Now notice here that Jesus says tithing should be something that is practiced. But if that's all we do, if we kind of go, our relationship with God is fully you know, recognized simply by our tithe, then we've totally missed what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Because a follower of Jesus should also be about justice, it's about loving God, it's about loving our fellow man, our fellow person within our world. So at a practical level, we need to recognize that tithing is a principle within the Christian community. And so I wanted to take, a, 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 I guess, a, a really tangible look at what this looks like. Now, the average weekly wage in Canberra is the highest in the country. If we look at this, this is a chart from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. I'll put a little arrow up there so if you're trying to work out which one is Canberra. It's the highest one there. So Canberra's weekly income is $1,800. And right next to it on the end is the Australian average there, just, uh, um, just above 1600 So Canberra has the highest weekly income. Now, for those of you who aren't great at maths, 10% of $1,800 equals $180. Um, Now, I did a few more calculations just to give you an idea of what it could look like potentially within the life of the church. Now, I recognize that I'm making a lot of assumptions in this, so please bear with me in this. I'll try and explain it as I go. I had to make some assumptions because no one's told me how much income we've got, so I've got to make these assumptions about that. And if your context looks very different to what I'm presenting... You just need to filter that through that and go, well, this is my context. This is what it looks like for me. But this is just on a a broader scale around that. So across Mosaic, uh, across our three campuses, there are about 700 people who attend a Mosaic service in any given month. Now, if we take out sort of an average of of about 250 for kids and students, that leaves us with about 450, I was going to say adults, but some students are adults, but about 450 people. Now, if we assume that each household is a single-income family, that would give us 225 people giving. And if we go with that assumption that between everyone, there are those who are earning more than the average and those who are learning below, earning below, but you know, generally we sort of sit in that bit. So if we take $180 per week um, at 10%, that's what, it would, that's what the weekly giving at Mosaic could be, $40,500. If we time that by 52 weeks, 
That's $2.1 million in the life of the church. Now, we know that most homes are not single-income families, so let's boost that by two-thirds of people who are working. And between them, they are, again, generating the average Canberran income. So that would be 337, which would give us then a total of 60,660, which then translates to $3.1 million per annum. As I said earlier, there are a number of assumptions around this, but it gives you an idea of what it can look like. And this level of giving would then enable us as a church to engage in new opportunities and new things that are kind of sitting there that we kind of don't necessarily have the resources for. What would it look like to engage in ministry to seniors in our community? What would it look like to engage in areas in our schools? How do we engage with the poor and support those ministries that are taking, you know, support uh, ministries that would support those who are poor, the least and the lost around us? It could mean that we could serve our community in ways that we've never even thought possible or dreamt about before. Now, to give you a comparison, for those of you who weren't at our AGM uh, last year, across the church last year, our giving was uh, $947,000, which is around $18,000 a week. And if we uh, divide that by the 337, it means it's about $50 per person per week giving here. And I know that there are people at Mosaic who give, they tithe, they give generously, and that at the same time that there are some who cannot give because of their circumstances. And there are others who are making decisions around, well, what does their giving look like going forward? Now, I've done it like this simply because for some of you, this helps. It gives you a bit of a picture to go, ah, oh, that's what it could actually look like going forward. And this is what we mean when we talk about tithing. And the title for today's message is, it's the floor, not the ceiling. And what that means, that as followers of Jesus, this is probably the place we should begin, we could begin. Because if we talk about it as a question of discipleship, of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that we actually engage in this, then recognising that how we frame our giving is actually one of those conversations that we need to have. But often when I'm having personal conversations with people and they want to talk about giving and so forth, often the conversation is, one day I will be able to give 10%. It's like it's something they're aspiring to. It's something out there, something they haven't actually attained yet. It's almost like well, it's, that's, what, that's what the really, I guess, mature Christians do. But I'm not quite there yet. So that's the kind of, you know, I'm not quite at that place yet. But as followers of Jesus, we are asked to give our all. And so setting the framework of of 10% is kind of the starting point. And what we saw in the reading is the widow who came and she, the poor widow, and she gave her all. She came to the temple and she was willing to go, "I, I give this to the Lord and I trust him with it and I trust me with him. Because that's what she was doing. She's going, well, I could try and do something with this to, to get through I can trust God more. And so she was willing to trust God more in that space. So how do we respond to a generous God? How do we respond to a God who gave his all to us? Do we respond with a sense of being tight-fisted or do we come with an openness? That as we've experienced the grace and love and mercy of God in our lives, then that reflects in us being generous people. Generous in our words, and our time, with our resources. That others may be blessed as well. 
It was uh, late last year that uh, Ros and I became aware of a, a situation where uh, there was someone we knew and uh, through no through circumstances out of their control, they found themselves in a bit of a spot where some financial assistance would have been really helpful for them. And so I talked to Ros, so I just sort of said, oh, look, I've become aware of this, um, you know, what do you think? Do you think we could give something uh, towards them? And immediately she said, yes. It's like, yes, let's, let's do that. We want to be able to, to be a blessing to this particular person and support them in this time. And so, so we did that. Um, we haven't always been in a place where we've been able to respond that way, but we, we were, and so we were able to give. For us, what was a, a substantial gift to be able to support this person? Uh, they were very grateful that, of the support that they had received, and, and, you know, and we felt a privilege to be able to support them in that. Well, a few months later, um, I was out doing some work in our, uh, by the pool. We had this dodgy garden down the side of the pool, and I thought, I need to clean that up. And I knew that there were pipes and cables and wires and things under there. So I was being very careful, right? Because so, when you know that stuff there, you, you go gently. You don't just sort of go at it with a crowbar. So I was going very gently aware of these things under there. It's about 35 degrees. I'm sweating up a storm, and I'm working away out there. And the, the pool pump is humming away behind me, right? And I'm out there with, the, with the, the medic thing working away, just sort of gently going, gently going. And then I go, clunk, and the pool pump stops. For those of you who are familiar with electricity, you realize that the electricity is now not going to the pool pump. And it happened exactly as I hit the ground, which could only mean one thing. So I pulled out the tool, and I pulled the, the, the dirt away, and there was the conduit with a nice big hole in it. And I looked inside there, and there was the cables, some exposed wires. And so as I've hit that, it's tripped out and stopped working. It's Saturday afternoon. It's 35 degrees. I know that my family, if the pool isn't accessible, they're not going to be happy. Um, I'm also aware a large body of water and exposed cables also isn't good, so I I better ring an electrician. How many of you have rung a tradesperson out of hours? So I'm sitting there going, this is going to be expensive, right? So anyway, so I've rung, left a voicemail on some electrician's uh, voicemail, going, "Uh, can you call me back? Um, You know, I need some help. Hung up. I'm sitting down, I'm having a glass of water, thinking, ah, not a great day, anyway. And then the doorbell rings. And I open the door, and it's my neighbour, John. He's, he moved in about six months ago. He's on the top side of us. And, uh, and he said, oh, would you mind giving me a hand? I've bought an air conditioner. Um, I just need a hand to get it off the ute. Sure, happy to do that. So I'm out there talking to John. We, 20 seconds, we've got the air conditioner off the ute in his shed. We're chatting away. As far as I know, he's a public servant from what I've seen of him and chatted and so forth and whatnot. And uh, anyway, I'm confessing my dilemma of, oh, you know, we're working out there. This has happened. He goes, oh, well, do you want me to come and have a look? And basically, in my mind, well, it's like, well, what can you do? You know, so I said, why? Well, what do you know about this stuff? And he goes, I'm an electrician. <laughs> I said, really? He goes, yeah, I used to be on the tools, but now I'm in the public service. And he goes, oh, let me come and have a look. I said, oh, sure, no worries. So anyway, John comes over, digs around there, and he goes, oh, yeah, I've got some bits and pieces, and I can fix that up. I'll just duck down to Bunnings, get a couple of things. So, you know, two hours later, it's all sorted, it's all fixed, it's done. And uh, we're sitting down, uh, having a drink and just having a bit of a chat. And, you know, there were so many good things that came out of that, you know, that, that he was able to come and we, we learned a whole lot more about one another. I think it was in that conversation that uh, he found out that I was a pastor. And often when you're talking to people and they find out you're a pastor, they just start to think about, how many times have I just sworn? And uh, he apologized profusely. He goes, oh, dude, sorry, I, you know, you should have told me. It's, it's fine, it's all right, it doesn't bother me. Like, you, I don't swear, but if you want to, knock yourself out. Um, even now, we'll be doing something every now and then. Oh, sorry. It's like, hey, don't worry about it. 
But there was a, just a, a great opportunity there, spending time, like I'm, I'm, I'm the work experience kid, holding his toys, walking up, uh, to, tools, not toys, um, <laughs> holding his tools, you know, following around, trying to be helpful and useful and whatnot, and, and he's fixed all this stuff for me. And not only that, we learnt more about each other, we continued to grow our conversation, I learnt a little bit about his, you know, his upbringing, his Catholic upbringing and so forth, and just the opportunity just to continue to open up that conversation. It was about a day or two later, I was just reflecting on, on those events. And I just felt God prompted me to go, I've provided for you. This was a gift from me to you. That someone was there to be able to help you there, that it didn't cost you anything. And actually, I gained from it as well. And I was just reminded that, you know, Rose and I, we'd practiced generosity. We didn't give so that we would get something back. We'd just given because we saw a need and we could. And I was just reminded through these events that God had blessed us, that he had returned in kind. Sometimes we get the mixed message that, you know, if we give to God, then God will magically make our bank account fuller. My experience is that God has never magically put money in my bank account. My experience is that God provides in different ways. Sometimes it's through a neighbor. Sometimes it's through friends. Sometimes it's through just random act of kindness by people. And so when we talk, think about this idea of giving and we talk, talk about the grace of giving, we need to remember that it's a conversation around what we experience from God and our willingness to be open towards God. And one of the ways that we're open towards God is through our giving to the kingdom of God that we might be willing to be, to let go, to have open hands towards the things of the kingdom. Not so that we might benefit, because we already have, right? As followers of Jesus, we've already received far more than we deserve or could earn. So anything we get is God's. And just the absolute privilege we have to be able to be a blessing, to allow those things to be a resource to others. God is the one who meets our needs. Sometimes we get our needs and our wants confused and we get a little frustrated, but we need to recognize that God will meet our needs. And he is generous. And as followers of Jesus, I would like to think that we could be generous, that we could be known as a generous and kind people. So I want to encourage you to think about your giving. And if God is asking you to think about you know, setting a floor, setting a starting point around that, and for me, the idea of a tithe is just the beginning place of a conversation. When someone becomes a Christian and then they come across this idea of giving, where do you begin? Well, I just begin with Scripture. God talks to us about the opportunity that this is a place we can be, begin. But he calls us to be free, to make our choice around that. But this is a framework that we can apply to this and go forward. And for me, when I talk about money with Christians... I think it is just as important as reading scripture, as talking about prayer, as talking about serving, as, a, as important about using our spiritual gifts. It's all there in the mix. It's not like money is this thing over here and all the spiritual stuff is over here. It's all in the mix. And as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that this is an important conversation, that we're open to having it. And I know this is a personal matter for many people. And I know for some of you, you're feeling uncomfortable about this topic. But I just want to encourage you 
that if God is making you a little uncomfortable about this, that, that's a conversation you need to have with him. I've got a couple of people in my life that sometimes I'll be talking about, you know, when you just get a, a sense in your, in your gut or in your spirit, and you go, this is, I'm really uncomfortable with what's going on here. I'm, I'm not feeling very happy about this. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you know, those really good friends that come to you and go, well, you know, if, if that's happening for you, maybe you need to talk to God about that. It's like, I don't want to talk to God about that. Because <laughs> I think I know what he might say. My experience is that when we do engage in a conversation with God, is that his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy are always present. And even though we might be resistant, even though we might be going, oh, I don't know, God invites us into something. So I guess this morning, as we've talked about money and giving, if that's sort of an area we kind of, I'm not very comfortable with that, I just encourage you to go, talk to God about it. Ask him. God, what are you asking? What are you inviting me into here? Is there something more that I haven't seen or realized yet? And to be able to respond to that. Because our goal as Christians is to always grow in our discipleship that we might become more like Christ. And Christ was generous inside and out, reflecting the very nature of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we recognize that you are present here with us today and that often we, we think of money as our personal thing. It's, it's close to us and we don't like to share the information around that with others. But God, you, you know. You know the comings and goings of our accounts. You know how much we earn or don't earn. You, all those things you know. And God, you simply invite us to a life of generosity that we might be willing to recognize that the goal is not to serve our finances, but actually our finances are designed to serve the kingdom, that there would be an outflow beyond ourselves towards others. And God, I pray that for each one here, just as I've shared a story about how I've seen your provision in different ways, that you would sow in reminders of the ways that you have provided for each of us in different ways the way you've come alongside, the way that you've met a need, the way that you have encouraged. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. Thank you that you are willing to take this journey with us, that you continue to invite us to go deeper with you. In Jesus' name, amen.